Welcome to another episode of Beautiful Adaptive Warrior. I'm your host, Angie Huser. It is time once again to unleash the warrior within you. Are you ready? Let's get started. Well, welcome back, all. I am so excited to have you back here again this week as we continue on our journey as amputees, as people needing help, um, no matter where you are in your life and in your circumstances and in your journey. But I welcome you. Uh, last week, I discussed my support system and how important a support system is in your life and getting through trials and tribulations. We also discuss that whether you are supporting someone going through things or you are the person going through things, how to kind of handle your relationships and how you can use them to benefit each other. The call to action last week was for you to um, thank the person that's been helping you, a simple thank you or reaching out to them or doing something kind for them. And on the flip side, if you are someone who's been supporting someone, I kind of told you, hey, take some time for yourself. If you don't find time to relax and enjoy what you are going through and deal with your circumstances, you're not going to be any good for the person you're helping. So I hope you got a chance to get out and do one of those two things, depending on what side you're on. And maybe you're on both sides. Some of us have been there where um, it's not uncommon if you are going through a lot of problems, sometimes it's nice to help somebody else out so you can stop being the one that everyone's helping. Um, and I've been there, been there a lot, actually. When you spend years of being in that situation, you look for any out or outlet to flip the coin, so to speak, and be on the other side where you can actually take your mind off your own problems and help somebody else. And that's also a great way to kind of get out of ruts and um, get out of your own head and out of your own thinking. Today, I'm taking a different turn. Um, I wasn't ever sure I would, um, just because it's personal. But I had an amazing opportunity this past week to speak for the first time about my injury, my journey, and how um, my faith has played into that. And it did play into it uh, an awful lot. Um, I'd say a lot of it, most of it. So I thought today, you know what, I'm going to throw a little curveball and I'm going to talk about how faith has helped me. So for those of you that don't know, I lost my leg two years ago above the knee. It was an elected decision. Not an easy one to make, obviously, if you have ever become an amputee and it was taken from you, uh, that's tragic. That's really hard to deal with, the emotional side of that. But there's also the side of people that have to make the choice for themselves on whether or not they want to stay the way they are and hope for the best or go with something as big as amputation and, again, hope for the best, knowing that once it's done, it's done. As I said in one of my first podcasts, it isn't growing back. Yeah, unfortunately, we're not like lizards. We can grow back a tail or um, an octopus that grows back an arm. So um, 
when you make that decision, you got to make it, uh, you can't make it lightly. And you surely cannot make it alone. And my faith did step in and I truly believe saved me. Before my amputation, I had been injured for about six, seven years of surgeries and um, tons of PT, uh, tears, confusion, frustration, anger, um, why me's, right? All that stuff, the pity parties. Although I tried to keep those at bay, of course they rear their ugly head. You can only contain emotion for so long. We're only human. And so there were times where, you know, they'd come pouring out. But as I now reflect back, as we know, hindsight is so much better than where we're at, right? Hindsight, we see everything. I'm able to see more clearly what I couldn't see when I was in it, in the midst of it. And I can tell you without any doubt that having my faith and being a Christian um, saved me from myself, saved me the hardships, the aches, the emotions that would have probably overcome me if I hadn't had a belief that there was something stronger than me that was always taking care of me. Um, back when I was going through surgery after surgery, I recall my very first conversation with one of my pastors and I said, you know, I'm really, really stressed out. I have the surgery coming up and every surgery, which you have to understand is, of course, whenever you go in for surgery, you sign a document that says, I understand the consequences of this and, you know, death could ensue. And that's really scary, especially a mom of two boys and a, a wife and, you know, you don't want to leave anybody behind. But you have to sign that paper. But also, each one of my doctors, as every surgery went on, the next to the next to the next, they all said, you know, the, the deeper we get into this and the more we have to do to your knee, the greater the chance of amputation. You may wake up and not have a leg. That's frightening. Because at the time, which I didn't know then, I was not prepared. And when I say not prepared... Maybe my faith hadn't been built up enough or my strength in my mental game or emotional game. But whatever it was, um, I can tell you that God knew without a doubt that I wasn't ready at that time. That's why it didn't happen during those surgeries. But that was always in the back of my mind. And when I talked to this pastor, I had explained to her that I was really freaking out at the next surgery because I really knew that this was an opportunity for that to happen. And I just couldn't imagine my life that way. And was this really what God had planned for me? Because it just, I couldn't, I couldn't believe that. I mean, I, I wanted to get back to skiing. And I only knew how to ski with two legs. And even then, you know, that's hard. Um, it, you know, walking and hiking, how could I possibly lose my leg? Well, obviously, I went through that surgery and I came out with 10 toes and two full legs. Um, so it wasn't meant to be. I also had moments where I knew God was speaking to me because he had sent me to several different doctors to discuss amputation. And I had 
the gamut of, yeah, you're in the right place from one doctor and we can do it when you're ready. No pressure. Another doctor who said, you know what? Give me some time. I can fix you. Keep in mind that I've already been through like seven years of surgeries, Eastern medicine, Western medicine, allergy testing, everything you can imagine I tried. To the third doctor who said, if you amputate, you will never walk again. <laughs> that was a hard pill to swallow right there because I was already thinking that this was the only thing I could do at that time. So I also knew that there was a portion of those conversations that was building me up, so to speak. What you have to understand, too, is that through this whole journey, different people had in, in, entered my life and um, kind of given me some clarity. And, you know, when you meet someone new or you talk to someone different, you kind of get different perspectives. I had also been to one of my final surgeons before the amputation talk who did straight out tell me that he had gone through people, uh, seen people going through what I was going through. And the ultimate result was amputation, and they're now living their best life. And I thought, wow, um, I can't believe he just said amputation to me uh, before it was because it was going to be an accident happening because of surgery. Now this was the first real conversation. Someone had brought it up as an option of a surgery. So that was a really, that was really hard to deal with. My husband was with me and I just looked at him and giggled because it was, it, it just blew my mind to hear that as an option. But the funny thing was, is we decided to try this last surgeon to do a scope on my knee, which by the way, we did the scope because it was the least invasive thing I could do to get rid of scar tissue. Okay. So that's the reason that we did that one. I had tried everything else. This was literally my kind of last ditch effort to make my knee work again. And um, needless to say, I went under thinking, okay, they're going to do scope. This is going to work. I know it. I just feel it. It's got to work. It's my last thing. And I wake up to the surgeon saying, well, I'm sorry to tell you the scope didn't work. I opened you back up and I cleaned out all the scar tissue and sewed you back up. What you need to understand is that was the last thing I needed to do because I'd already been opened up and with what I have, arthrofibrosis, which is hyperscarring um, in the joints, <clears throat> every time we opened me up for surgery, that made it worse. So that's why we were going with a scope because there's it was less invasive, simpler procedure, quicker. But when he told me I can't even get the scope in the holes because there's so much scarring, I had to open you up. And then he proceeded to tell me that he wrecked three saw blades getting the scar out. I was like, whoa. So he sewed me back up and you guessed it, the same exact thing happened. I mean, I went to PT, we worked on it. I went back to him a week later, two weeks later maybe. And he looked at me and he said, I've never seen anything like that. You are worse off so much quicker than I've ever seen anybody relapse into that scarring. And he said, but, you know, I mentioned amputation, but you're really not ready for it. 
And I was thinking, okay, you have to understand, I've already wasted like seven years of my life going through all these surgeries. I, I couldn't figure out how I was not ready for it. And again, hindsight, right? He just said, you know what? You're too positive. You're still in a great place. You're not ready for it. But you'll know when you're ready. And I remember walking out of that office going, well, now what? So there's no other options for surgery or fixing me. I can't have an amputation because I'm not ready. So he said, what do I do? That happened just before our trip to Europe. You know, I had healed up. I was fine. Traveling that far, I had to take precautions because I was constantly swollen and, and my my calf was really bad, no blood flow. So I always wore the stockings and I even had compression pumps flying. We got to Paris. That was the summer of 2018. And, you know, I was walking around Paris doing what I could do and sucking it up, really. Kind of just what I had to do all those years. And I remember feeling like I pulled a muscle in my calf. And I figured that's probably what it was because, you know, I was walking all over it, but I wasn't walking well. And I knew that my calf felt tight. And did that for a week. <laughs> uh, got on an airplane, flew into New York first, and then New York into Phoenix. <clears throat> and the trip from New York to Phoenix, I was so sick. I was throwing up. I I just couldn't catch a break on that trip home. Um, when we got home, I dismissed all that, even though some of you might be listening thinking, uh, did you check for a blood clot? I had had a blood clot before in this leg many years ago, before all this other stuff has happened. And I knew what a blood clot felt like. And even though my leg was swollen, it was red, it was hot to the touch, which are all signs of a blood clot. And then to be throwing up on an airplane, um, all the signs pointed to it, but it didn't feel like the blood clot I had before, which was like pulsating sharp pains in my calf. So that's why I ignored it, thinking, no, it didn't happen. I went to um, my first Christian concert the night after we got back and you know stood and danced for four or five hours it was a weekend concert and my husband and I had tickets to go on Sunday night as well after my kids went uh, left for a mission trip and did the same thing four or five hours standing and moving around didn't think anything of it <laughs> Monday, I had an appointment with my pain management doctor for something totally unrelated, I mean, related to my knee, but unrelated to the calf pain. And he walked in and he just looked at me and said, whoa. And I'm like, what? And he goes, you are going to hate me, but you're going to the ER. And I'm like, what for? He goes, well, I may be wrong, but if I am, then you have every right to be mad at me for wasting your time. But I think you have a blood clot. And I thought, no, you know what? I've been back from Europe, you know, I've done this, this, this. He goes, you definitely need to go. I was supposed to have a date that night with my husband, but I was so certain it was not a blood clot that I didn't tell him I was going to the ER because I didn't want to worry him while he was working. And I thought, well, 
it'll be quick because it's not a blood clot. <laughs> and I'll get to the date and time. So you know ER visits are never quick. And ER visits with positive results are definitely not quick. And when the doctor came in and looked at me and said, um, Honey, you have a blood clot and it's behind your knee. I thought, oh my God, it was in my calf midway down and it's now behind my knee. I kept myself, my emotions in check, kept it together. I just texted my husband, hey, I'm running a little late, but I will be there as soon as I can. Um, grab our seat. And unfortunately, I didn't have time to go home and change and get all prettied up for our date. I went in with my clothes from my PT appointment into my doctor appointment and a baseball cap. And we were going to a nice French restaurant to relive being in France the week before. And I'll tell you what, that was the most sobering moment ever, but it was a very clear moment. My husband was sitting in the back of the restaurant. He had two glasses of wine. I sat down. I kind of gave him a smile. I'm sure he looked at me and said, well, you could have at least dressed up a little bit. But when I told him, um, I just came from the ER and he just kind of sat there quietly, you know, eyes wide, like what? And I said, I have a blood clot in my calf. Actually, behind my knee. It was in my calf in Paris. It is now behind my knee. And I just remember I couldn't hold it in anymore. I just started crying in the middle of the restaurant. Glass of wine in hand, trying to shield my face from anybody that might be looking, knowing that no one could comprehend the thought that was heading uh, into my head, into my mouth, to tell my husband. And that thought was, this is the moment. I can't do this anymore. And it's time to amputate. And I sat there and I cried. That was a moment that will be etched in my eyes, in my brain forever. It was the moment I remembered the doctor saying, you will know when it's time. And without a doubt, I knew it was time. You know, my husband, you know, his first thought was, well, maybe we just can't fly anymore. And I just looked at him. I said, I can't keep taking things off of my to-do list, can't-do list, or putting them onto my can't-do list. We had already had a can't-walk, bike, hike, ski, um, pretty much everything you do normally being active. You know, I struggled getting through shopping centers. Walmart, for gosh sakes. Costco, forget it. Too big a store. You know, I was the mid-40 lady that was driving around in those carts. And I was getting tired of it. And when I told him that, I don't want to take anything else off our plate. When you retire, we wanted to live. Not sit in front of TVs and watch movies for the rest of our days. We're active people. We like to be going. And he just looked at me and he goes, yep, you're right. It's time. And that's when I started um, making appointments with doctors to get opinions to see how each one of them fit, right? Like trying on shoes. You've got to pick the right doctor for this kind of situation. And I, um, I knew that I had to find someone that had the bedside manners 
that could understand who I was, who I wanted to be again, listened to me and didn't do it for their own purposes or their own gains. Thus enter those three doctors. The first one is the first, my first choice. I went to him and it was Dr. Judd Cummings. He's the one I interviewed in April. You can go back and listen to his story and my story and how we met and how that went about because I had seen him before to see if he could salvage my leg. And he looked at me and he goes, I'm so sorry. There is absolutely nothing I can do with arthrofibrosis. There's nothing that can be done there. And I had to walk out feeling really defeated at that time. But it also clued me in that he was honest. He was kind and compassionate about that honesty, which he knew would hurt. But he didn't do it for his own selfish gains. He could have done surgery. Oh, yeah, I'll try fixing you. But he didn't want to just cut. And that was very important. And you need to know that. Sometimes you don't get what you really want to hear. And sometimes you have to understand that when you don't hear what you want, that it's okay to walk away um, and look elsewhere. And that's sometimes a good sign of a good doctor that can turn you away. So he was my first appointment. My second appointment was um, a doctor who wanted to fix me. Um, and at that point in time, I wasn't, I had, you know, I mean, think about where I was at in that restaurant. I was done and I knew I hit the wall. I knew I hit the point where the other doctor said, you could do this. Now you may ask yourself, why didn't I go back to that doctor? It's plain and simple. He was a great doctor. He was very honest. He was open, but he had only had a couple amputation surgeries under his belt. And I was looking for someone, unfortunately, who had done a lot who this wasn't their first rodeo. So this doctor I went to had done a lot of research and wanted to fix me. Unfortunately, the research he had wasn't about me and my history. It was more about just knees. And, you know, God bless him for wanting to try. And the nice person in me said, I'll give you a shot. And I did, which, you know, in my mind's eye, looking back, I only wasted maybe a week or two trying something he wanted, and then coming back for another visit. And at that point, that was killing me because I just wanted to get this done. I thought I had made up my mind. I wanted to get it done. And I was I felt like I was wasting time, but I did it. All right, I did my due diligence. I knew what the outcome would be. I was correct. But this time I humored him. When I went back in, he goes, okay, now this is what I want to try. And I finally just looked at him. I said, listen, I've done it all. I don't want to do anything else except this. He goes, okay, let's, let's schedule you for amputation. And I went, whoa, nope. <laughs> I knew that guy was the wrong guy. He went from wanting to fix me to wanting to cut my leg off. I asked him, how many have you done? He'd done six or seven. And I'm like, still not enough. I'll get back to you. And I walked out. Went to my third surgeon. And that's the one that lit a fire under me, but also shook me to my core. And he just said, yeah, I see you've got about 20 range of motion, 20 degree range of motion. Yep, nope, not going to do it. You know what? You'd be better off with what you have. If you cut off your leg, I'm telling you right now, you'll never walk again. And I was, I'm sure my face said it all because he goes, but I'm sure you'll prove me wrong. 
And I wasn't sure why any doctor would say those two things. But I will tell you with hindsight, it was probably the best thing for me. Because it did shake me to my core. It made me really have to dig down deep. It made me have to think for myself and understand he doesn't know me. No one knows me like I know me. And I want to empower you to believe in yourself. In that moment, I had to be stronger than the doctor, the professional in the room who thinks they know everything. They didn't get to know me. He didn't ask me questions. He didn't probe about what I'd been through. Nothing. When he knew I was coming in there for an amputation thought, he was ready to turn me away no matter what. So you can guess that is not the doctor I went with because he wasn't going to do it anyways. So I went back to the first doctor. And I said, all right, let's do this. He goes, okay. When you are really ready, call my scheduling department and schedule it. This is now September. When I finally called them and said, okay, I've done a few peer-to-peers, met some amputees, kind of got through that emotional hump. I guess I'm ready to schedule. I figured worst case scenario, I could cancel, right? But get on the schedule. My scheduling date was for December. (laughs) It is September. So, you know, having a few months, I thought, well, that's good. It'll give me time to think. Oh my gosh. Too much time to think is not a good thing. Giving yourself time to process it is good. Too many months to think about it is hard. And it, that is really when my faith had to take hold. But it didn't right away. I mean, I had to have... There was a reason, again, I can tell you with certainty. There was a reason that I had to wait from September to December. And that was still that God was building me up, building my faith muscle up so that I could tackle this with 100% certainty in my heart that this was right. In those months that followed that appointment schedule to the day of my surgery, my journey was huge. I had doubts, of course. I did research. Um, I will tell you, with, without a doubt, you want to be careful about how you Google search certain things. Um, a lot of the things I found found on Google (laughs) scared me to death and that was bad. I finally had to stop doing that. Don't be a Google doctor kind of person because that is, that was, that's not good. I did have some peer to peers. Like I said, um, got some questions answered. Um, I did talk to, I did all my due diligence. I, talked to the insurance company, made sure that they covered me, talked to my prosthetist that I was going to go to, which if you listen to Dr. Cummings interview with me, one of the first things he did in my very first conversation with him on amputation was he sent me straight to the limb center, my prosthetist, David and Randy, and David and I had a conversation. David is the assistant to Randy, but he is an amputee and an above knee amputee as well. And he had life experience that he and only he could share with me. 
And right away, David gave me his cell phone number, said, call anytime you have questions. If you have some fears that come up, any thoughts, please don't hesitate to call me. And I did. I called him several different times. Uh, one of the times was after that conversation with the doctor, so I never walk again. He was there to reassure me with his lifestyle. If you saw David with pants on, no shorts, you wouldn't know he was an amputee. He walks so well. He plays basketball. He hikes and camps and he's outdoorsy. He bikes. So I knew at least it was a possibility. And I was trying to do an apple to apple comparison because he's an above knee. If I don't have my knee, I don't want to compare myself to someone who's a below knee because there's different challenges. So know that going into this, please. Make sure you do your research and, and do it well. Make sure you're comparing yourself to the right people. I found some ladies that I could find on um, social media that were amputees, above knee amputees, to see what they could accomplish. And I was um, immediately um, relieved to see that there was life beyond amputation. But throughout those months, my emotions, of course, as you can imagine, were up and down. I did everything I could to, um, you know, distract myself, uh, think of other things, because sometimes it just became so consuming that literally I'd wake up in the morning and be like, oh my gosh, it's this many days away. I'd go to bed. Oh my gosh, another day is gone. I'm getting a day closer. <laughs> Are we sure this is the right thing? Did we try everything? I, I couldn't think of anything else I could try. And I, every doctor I talked to said, I can't believe how much you've done. You've done more than 100% of my patients, really, to get this figured out. So, I mean, I was reassured in many different aspects, but, you know, you still wonder, is this really it? Because once it's done, it's done. There's no turning back from an amputation. And do I have the right personality to tackle this? At one point in time, I remember going into my pain management doctor's office and I was weepy. I mean, it was just one of those days where I just had a breakdown and I just was you know, consumed, right? And he had suggested that maybe I take an antidepressant to just kind of help me calm down. And I'm not someone who likes to get on medication. I was tired of being on medication all these years. But I'm like, well, maybe, maybe that's the right path. Maybe that'll help. And he said, plus, by the time you're taking it now, and you've got like a month or so before your surgery, maybe it'll help you calm down. It'll get in your system and it'll be leveled out to the right amount you need so that whatever comes after surgery in your emotions you'll be able to handle it. And I thought, okay, the thinking makes sense. So yeah, let's do it. This story was the one that blew kind of everything else out of the water. I'd never been on an antidepressant before. I knew nothing about them. My body didn't either, obviously, by the reaction. Because, you know, they say it takes a good week for it to really get in your body. And maybe another week or so for it to um, regulate. And I was three days in, and I remember waking up in the middle of the night, and I could not sleep. I couldn't even close my mind's eye. Like, I was pressing my eyes closed. 
but my mind was wide awake and stories upon stories were flooding my head of all the negativity, all the n possibilities of things going wrong um, from, you know, all the way to being a grandma someday. What are you going to be a 90 year old that's on crutches in one leg? And, you know, you're not gonna be able to handle this. And, oh, your grandkids are going to be scared of you. And, oh my gosh, the thoughts that flooded my head were so frightening. But you know how when you have a bad dream and you wake up from it and it's really raw right then and there, and then all of a sudden you try to tell someone about it, even five, ten minutes later, it starts to fade and you can't really get the words to describe the feeling. That's what I was hoping for. When I got out of bed that day, I'm like, you know, just get up. Just get up. It's like it was 4.30 in the morning. Just get up. And you know what? Nothing faded. It actually grew stronger and stronger. And it was a horrible feeling. Like a horrible feeling. Well, something I've never felt before. I had to call my doctor right away. And he said immediately, get off that medication now. Get off the medication. And I got off it. I was really kind of hoping that as soon as I stopped taking it, I'd feel better. It took over a week for me to stop those thoughts. And in that time, I decided I'm going to meet with my pastor um, because I, I don't know what I need to talk to him about, but I need to talk. I need to figure out why I'm feeling this way. And, and, and I was sure that was Satan speaking to me and trying to take over. And I had never felt that before. And it was so, so strong, so evil. And so I remember talking to my pastor. He finally met with me and it was kind of funny because he's like, hey, why don't we go over to the coffee shop here? Let's just sit and talk. I said, okay. I said, I'm sorry. I, I really don't have an agenda of what I wanted to talk to you about. But I just felt the need that I needed to talk to you. And he goes, I was wondering about that. He goes, because I'm not sure what we're going to talk about either. And I'm like, okay, great. This is so weird. Why am I here? You know, I did want to ask him if he'd be there to pray over me on my surgery day. And he happily obliged, um, put that on his calendar. But we just sat and talked. Just, you know, actually, I wanted, you know, the redirection I talked about. I said, you know, Pastor, how are you doing? I don't know how many people go to pastors and ask how they're doing. So I was thought, well, you know what? Think outside yourself. You've got your, your thoughts are always about you. So let's go about somebody else. How are you doing? And he rambled on, talked about his job, talked about life, talked about the family, where he was going, his struggles, his real, uh, real life things. And, you know, it was good to hear somebody else's life <laughs> instead of being all consumed with mine. And he told me that there was a book he wanted to get for me. And he went over because we have a coffee shop and a bookstore right there on the church campus. And he went over and got it, brought it back to me. And it was kind of workbookish, which is really good for me because I'm that kind of person. I like books, but I really like when I can highlight and write things and answer questions. And, and in the back, it was a resource of when you're feeling like this, check this place in the Bible. When you're feeling like this, use this Bible verse and it was great because it was about strong emotions and and the freedom we can feel when we know where to look in the Bible and where we can turn to God for when we're not sure and how freeing that can be when we actually have some answers. 
And so as a Christian and a believer, I was very happy to take that home because there were already parts in the back of the book where I was like, need that because I'm freaked out right now. Okay, I'm going to check that verse out because that's going to be great because I was so depressed and whatever. And, you know, the talk was wonderful. We, you know, I told him about how I felt with the medicine and how it scared me and what I believed that was to be. And, you know, he kind of um, encouraged me on and picked me up from that and told me things will get better. You know, everything a great pastor would do. And I just remember thanking him and I had it on my way after talking to him for about an hour and a half. And I got in my Jeep and I'm sitting in the church parking lot. And I'll tell you what, it was like someone just gave me a swift kick. And you you know where I'm going to go with this, that the only person that could give me a swift kick right then and there in a church parking lot would be God himself. And I believe that. With all my heart, I believe it. Because what the kick was, was pretty much a, hey, you know what? You are looking for a way to handle your dilemma, your feelings, through medication, not through me. It'll be okay. Drop the medication and believe. And then the second part of that, which changed everything and saved me completely, was that same internal voice, that same feeling that somebody was saying, I know you are electing to do this, but don't think for one second. This wasn't my path for you. And I need you to trust me. That is all I needed to move forward and move on with the best feeling ever. At that moment, I knew it was a plan that God had for me. I couldn't explain it. I didn't know why. But I had to believe. And that's when my faith blossomed the largest, the strongest, and the most permanent it ever had. It was at that moment that I realized that I could no longer believe that I was in charge of my life, but that he was. And that now, as I sat back, not kidding you, for a week or so, thoughts flooded my mind about everything that had happened in the past seven or eight years prior to this decision and how it was leading me to that moment to let go of the reins and to let God take charge. To believe that he had a greater plan for me than I could ever fathom. And there was nothing that I could do to stop it and alter it or control it. It was in that moment that I had the greatest sense of relief. The biggest sigh of relief that came from me was when I realized it had nothing to do with me and everything to do with him. And that I was just to go the path that he had chosen and make the best of it. And that he had my back. 
that moment was the most freeing moment of my life. It'll be one I'll never forget. And as you could tell, it chokes me up still today when I tell it. And I decided that it needed to be heard because there are so many of you out there that are struggling that I have to share faith because it would do him wrong if I didn't tell you how he worked through me and works in me every day. And I think I never, ever, ever envisioned me doing a podcast. And here I am. I never envisioned myself trying to be a part in helping other people grow and get through their amputation or their struggles like I am today. In whatever capacity, and right now social media, but like I said this week, I got to speak to a women's Bible group about my faith journey and what it's meant for me. And I think that another door is now opening as I meet new people and I share my story. I wanted you, my listeners, to hear this. And I hope that for one of you, it makes a difference in your life. I don't know whether or not you're believers or not. I I have to know that everyone believes in something, something greater than themselves, but we sometimes forget that. But whatever your belief my story holds true for me. That is where my journey is going. And I really hope that maybe it it affects one of you, touches one of you, inspires one of you to dig deeper, to figure out who you are, what you believe, what you want in life. I would say that my call to action for you today is to just be. To sit with your own thoughts and think of the possibilities. Maybe you're a Christian and if you are, one thing that we tend to fail at is believing that God always has you. Um, it's just part of being human and God knows that we can turn to him and turn away from him and turn to him and turn away from him a million times in our life, but he still loves you. He still loves me. He wants us to trust him. Jesus wants a friendship with us. So if you're a believer, reach out to him. And let go of the things you cannot control and start living the life that you are meant to live. If you're not a believer, maybe this gives you an opportunity to research and try anything different. If it's whatever you've got isn't working for you, what's the harm? And if you have questions about any of this, I want you to reach out to me. You can DM me on my social media, and Instagram, Facebook. If you go to my website, my email's there. Email me. But just know something. There is a higher power. There is an opportunity for you to grow 
and you can do whatever you set your mind to and you can overcome it but you know I started with working on the support system our support system physically like our husbands our wives our friends our spouses um, our kids our neighbors they're amazing people but they are human too they won't always be there when you need them because they have lives and they have shortcomings like we do but I will tell you that God will never let you down even when you think he's turned your back on you and some of you may be disgruntled Christians who you feel like God's left you I guarantee you he has not I will also share with you one more little bit of personal information one of the other things that several of my doctors or physicians had told me I should maybe look into was a therapist. And I, of course, the stigma of therapy, right? I wasn't sure I really wanted to go that route because I didn't want to come across as weak. But I decided I was going to do it. But I wanted the right one, just like my all my other doctors. I wanted a Christian therapist. And my pain management doctor actually had someone that he had actually used himself. He was very honest and open. And he said he is a Christian. And I told you, like all my doctors and stuff are all Christian men and women. And I decided to check him out and go and talk to him. And I did that all before to prep my mind for the surgery. So I had been seeing him. And... I can tell you that there was so many opportunities to just talk about God's plan with him and to reassure myself from that moment that I had the aha epiphany that it wasn't my election but God's plan all along all the way to surgery um, this therapist was amazing and even on my surgery date he was sending me Bible verses and everything Make sure you get in touch with me. Email me, text me when you're done. I want to make sure you're okay. And I remember going to him a couple times after surgery just to make sure I was as good as I came across feeling after surgery because I was in a great place after surgery. Once I had reconciled that this was God's plan all along, it was probably the best surgery I ever came out of. Like I was happy. I was excited. All the fears I had were washed away. It was... I can tell you that it was like God had put a blanket over my emotions to kind of calm me down the way he needed to. And I was very easygoing, relaxed, happy, content. And I just remember maybe a month after surgery going in to see this therapist and I just looked at him and he goes, how are you doing today? And every day I'd been like, well, this is great. I'm doing this. I'm healing well. I, you know, I came in chipper, happy, uplifted. Today, that was a little different. And I looked at him and I said, as tears started to well up, and then I had, just got choked up. I said, I'm really, really upset right now. And he's like, what's going on? And I said, I can't feel God with me anymore. I said, he was so close. It was tangible like I could taste it like he was right there with me it was a, a very physical personal feel that I was not alone 
in every aspect of my life. And I said, and, and I miss that feeling. I can't find it. I can't get it back. I search for him. I call to him. I can't get it back. And he gave me the best analogy. And he said, I've heard that happens to people after things like this. Here's what I believe. He said, you know when a father or mother takes their child out to learn to ride their bike without their training wheels? You know, you're out there with the training wheels and your mom and dad watching. And then they decide to take the training wheels and the kid goes, don't let go. Don't let go. Please don't let go. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And you know the dad or the mom is right there running behind holding the seat. And then all of a sudden at one point in time, they let go. And the kid's down the block doing great all there on their own. And they realize when they turn around that the parent is nowhere near them. He goes, I believe that's God right now for you. The kid sees the parent at the end of the block. Sees the parent never left. That was God. He never left me. He let go. He knew I was ready to soar. He never let go until I was ready. And when I was ready, he knew. He didn't leave me. He's always with me. But he knew I was strong enough to do it. He believed. I'll tell you what. That was a powerful moment. But I have to say, I still miss that feeling. And I know that God comes back and is tight with me when I'm in deep need. But he doesn't need to hold the reins all the time. He needs to learn. He's learned to let go of his children when they're ready to be let go so that we can fly on our own. So I leave you with that nugget. I hope it inspires you. Please reach out to me if you need help. If you want to talk about your faith, if you want to talk about your injury or where you're at, where you're feeling, and if you have a story like that, please, please share with me because I know there are other stories like that out there. I'm not the only one. I'm not special in that way. I'm just one of his. I pray that you have a blessed week. I pray that you feel loved and wanted and have a purpose because you do. I know you do. And until next time, be healthy, be happy, be you.